All right, so we are going to start our new series today. We are going to process through Ephesians. Um, I, I'm extremely excited for this journey through Ephesians. Ephesians is definitely one of my favorite books of the Bible. I, I love when I flip through my Bible. Um, when I get to Ephesians, Ephesians is so marked up in my Bible. It's almost getting to the point that there's certain sections of the book that I can't read anymore in my Bible because it's that marked up with notes on the side and things underlined and highlighted and questions and just all this stuff. There is so much amazing stuff in Ephesians. In fact, one person said it this way. They said the letter of Paul, this letter of Paul, is a treasure trove full of mysteries and riches which have been given to us freely in Jesus Christ. In fact, one theologian has called, and I like how he says this, he says Ephesians, when you look at all the epistles, all the letters of Paul, he's like Ephesians is the Rolls Royce of, the, of all the epistles. Okay? Another theologian says that Ephesians is the most majestic expression of the gospel that we can find in the Bible. Right? Ephesians is such an amazing book of the Bible. And here's the thing I, I want to say for myself. I don't want to speak for Pastor Matt when he comes back and when he starts preaching on his weeks through Ephesians. But here's my view of Ephesians. Ephesians is one of those books... When I read it, and just over and over and over have read it and studied it, Ephesians is one of those books where I will read something, and I will sit there and say, yes, I get that. That makes total sense to me. And at the same time, I'll be like, but I do not understand that. Because that is so deep and beyond me. That makes no sense whatsoever. Right? It's one of those books that it literally can exalt you to a place of just wonder and awe and just, it, it's mind-blowing when you really understand what's being said in Ephesians. I mean, the first chapter alone, I mean, the section that we're, I, I thought it was hilarious when, when, when we put together the, the, um, the, the preaching schedule with this, going through this book, and, and here it's like, hey, you got chapter one, or the first part of chapter one, and I, I'm looking at it, and I'm just chuckling to myself, because I am not joking. We could preach for months just on the first 14 verses of Ephesians, because there's that much amazing truth just packed into the beginning of this book. And so that's why Ephesians is just so exciting because the truth of Ephesians is so far beyond us that the only way that we can ever understand it, the only way it could ever really impact us the way that it's supposed to is it's only going to do it when it's a deep revelation from the Holy Spirit himself on the truth that is recorded in this letter. It is an amazing, amazing book. Now, a little bit of background, just so we're all, you know, understand it and know where, where we're coming from. Um, Ephesians was written by Paul. Yet another one of Paul's letters to the churches. Um, in fact, it was actually written by Paul while he was setting in prison. These, this, this is one of the uh, prison epistles. This is one that he was writing as he was finishing out his life pretty much in prison, awaiting to be tried for the various crimes that people were trying to accuse him of on his way to Rome. This was one that he wrote while in prison. That's important because as you read what he's saying here, you need to remember he's setting as a prisoner. 
And he's writing these words of amazing encouragement and amazing blessing while he's sitting in prison, not knowing what his fate is going to be. I have to throw this out here real quick. If anybody sees me waving around, I am not having a Holy Spirit moment. There's a lot of flies. And I prayed before church with the praise team for a hedge of protection around the the stage. And God, I guess, did not feel that was important because I got one bothering me right now. Um, So anyways, another thing that's important to understand about Ephesians, it was actually written by Paul just a few short years before he was put to death. Paul is waiting in Rome. He's in, in imprisonment in Rome. He's waiting to be again tried and, and go before the emperor, or, you know, and here he is. And this is just written a few short years before his life is ultimately taken for his faith. Again, important to understand as you look at what he's saying. The other thing that's important to understand about Ephesians is while it is called Ephesians, and while at the beginning of it, it does say to the saints in Ephesus, this book, this letter, was not written for one church. In fact, if you look at Paul's writing, anytime Paul was writing one church specifically, he was dealing with issues in that one church. Go back to our series through 1 Corinthians. That was a letter written to that church because Paul's saying, I'm going to address issues in this church. Ephesians is not that way. While we call it Ephesians, it is not necessarily a letter that was written just to the church in Ephesus. In fact, it was written to Ephesus so that it could then be spread and circulated to all the other churches. Because Paul is not dealing with a specific issue in the church. He's dealing with encouragement to all Christians. And the reason it probably went to Ephesus first is because Ephesus in that part of the world was like the epicenter of everything else. So, of course, Paul's like, we're going to start here, and then it's going to spread from there to the other churches. So, again, he's not just encouraging these Christians. He wrote this to be an encouragement to all the churches, to all the believers, So he sends it to the one place where he knows it's going to spread out to the other churches that surround it. But then why did he write it? There's a lot of reasons we can throw into why Paul wrote Ephesians. But ultimately, Paul's desire through the moving of the Holy Spirit, so it's ultimately God's desire, is for every Christian that reads or hears his words in the beginning and also now today, is for us to fully grasp and to know the life that God offers us in Jesus Christ that as Paul puts it, this is the words Paul used, he says, I want you to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul's like, that's what God wants for us. He's like, he wants us to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, again, picture this for a moment. Last week, I kind of you know, mentioned this, just where God just puts me in awe. Um, actually, it's something that I, I wrote and we put out on Facebook of how often I will sit there and just be in awe of thinking about the vastness of creation and looking at the, the size of the universe and how insignificant I feel compared to the vastness of this thing that seems to go on forever. From my perspective, it goes on forever. But God says, not even the universe can contain me. 
Like, this is the God we just got done worshiping. The God that tells us, you know, when you sit in this little planet, in this big universe that seems like it goes on forever, this universe can't even contain me. And Paul says, I want you to live a life that is filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I mean, put all that, I mean, this is what I'm saying. I can say these words and it makes sense to me, but at the same time, I'm sitting here going like, that makes no sense to me. This is what I love about the Christian faith. And when people say, what's so unique about the Christian faith? That right there is just mind-boggling to me that the God of the universe that can't be contained by the universe tells me that he wants little old me to live a life where I am filled to the fullness of him. I mean, if ever we live our lives not in complete awe of God, we're missing something. There's many times I know I've missed the significance of what God is saying because it's so far beyond me. And that's what Paul is talking about. You see, Paul had this amazing, he experienced this amazing, radical, and complete transformation in Jesus. And he calls all believers to this life of maturity. That's what Ephesians is. He's taking us from basic Christianity, the basic belief of Jesus as Savior, and he's exalting it to say, do you understand what God has called you to? He's like, this is how big this is. It's not just about I got a ticket to go to heaven. It's not about just living the best life I can. It's not about just being a good person. He's like, do you understand what God has done for you and what he's called us to and what he's provided for us in a life of maturity? Especially this morning as we begin, as we jump into the first part of Ephesians, what Paul is doing is he's challenging our natural mindset. He's like, listen, Christian, we are not called to view our lives and to view truth and to view the world through a natural mindset. mindset. Instead, we are supposed to view this life and this world and everything through a mindset that magnifies our holy God who has graciously filled us to the point of overflowing with the fullness of himself. One of the reasons that I I struggle with this is because I know deep down I don't deserve that type of blessing. But yet Paul is saying, listen, you don't deserve it. But because of his grace and because of his mercy, the God of the universe pours himself out and he wants to pour himself out in you. And not just in a little degree. He wants to pour himself out to the point where that you are overflowing with God himself. That's what he's saying. Like, God wants you to overflow with the very presence of God himself. That's what he's saying in Ephesians. He's trying to ignite again a passion in the believers to say this is the life that we are pursuing. That's why exceedingly abundantly more is the whole point of Ephesians. So let's jump into 
what Paul says right at the beginning. So he starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a lot of times we can jump over and read the beginning, the intros to letters, and we just get, you know, I'm guilty of this. You just kind of jump over it. It's like the, you know, dear so-and-so from so-and-so. It's like the, the basic stuff. But there's so much truth just right here. Because here's the first thing Paul tells us as, as we begin. He says, listen, through the entirety of Ephesians, Ephesians, again, is not about us. The, the, the letter, the epistle, it's not about us. As you read and you, we, we go through this, there's going to be a lot of things where Paul is saying, God has done this for you. God has done this for you. God has done this for you. He provides this. He calls this. And we can naturally focus on us and what it means for us. The main message of Ephesians is the glory of God. Because nothing happens outside the will of God. And Paul's starting it right off at the beginning. He's like, listen, I'm an apostle, not because I chose to be an apostle, not because I wanted this. I'm an apostle because of the will of God. It's by the will of God that everything I'm about to say, everything I'm about to tell you, everything that we're going to process through, it's, it's not us. It's not about us. It's not for us in the sense of where the focal point is. Like the entirety of this is God is the focal point. Jesus is the focal point. In fact, just in the first 14 verses, just in the first 14 verses of everything that Paul's going to say, four times, four different times in just 14 verses, he says, this is to the glory of God. To the glory of God's grace, to the glory of God, to the glory of God's grace. He just keeps saying this because he wants us to understand, Christians, he's like, listen, this isn't because of us. It's not because we deserved it. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because of anything other than the simple fact that God chose to do it. You know, the reality of the, of the matter is, and I, and I try to remind myself of this every day, but I forget so often. It's like, here's the thing. I can't even get out of bed unless the will of God says I can. I mean, it's just like, that's how much Paul's wanting us to understand. This is how dependent we are on God. To the glory of God, it's all about him. That's the message. The second truth that's important just right here at the beginning is Paul's also saying who this is for. Right? He, he's setting a precedent of identity. He's saying, listen, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to those that are faithful. As we begin, it's important to understand something. Uh, we're going to process through this letter, and, and I don't mean to say this, and I hope it doesn't come across negative, but this letter is not for the average person that doesn't want to grow in maturity. This letter is not for a person that has no interest whatsoever in growing in the faith. Right? If, if a person doesn't know, this is not a, a book written to receive Jesus. Right? Because this is going to be so foreign to people that don't know Jesus. Because Paul is saying this letter is for the saints. This letter is for those that have already been redeemed and saved by the grace of God. This letter is for the children of God. This is for those that are already committed to those that are faithful. What Paul is saying, he's like, listen, I'm going to share some truth with you that the Holy Spirit himself has revealed, and you're not going to understand it if you're still veiled in your understanding. He's like, because this letter is not for you. 
first you got to get rid of the veil because this is for the saints. This is for the faithful. In fact, later on, Paul challenges in Ephesians, and this is what's really hard about Ephesians because there's so much stuff later in the book that ties into all of this. It's like woven together beautifully. Paul says later on in Ephesians, he's like, listen, I am calling you to live a life worthy of your calling. This is who you are. Live a life worthy of this. That's who Paul's saying this letter is for. Those that have said to themselves, I have abandoned everything to live a life worthy of Jesus. Not those that just simply play games. Not those that just simply come and I'm part of church because that's what's expected or for religious reasons. It's those that are faithful and those that are saints. In addition, what Paul is saying here is he's also telling us the importance of our identity. He's saying, listen, um, as we process through this stuff, you need to see yourself for who you are. And if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You are holy and set apart for the glory of God. The issue is, is too many people, we put our faith in Jesus and we still see ourselves as sinners. Now don't get me wrong, I still sin. But my identity is not a sinner. I struggle with sin every single day, but I am not a sinner. That is one of the reasons, one of my most annoying phrases I can't stand in the church is, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I'm a saint saved by grace. Because my identity is not found in the old man. And and that's what Paul's starting, he's trying to do here. He's elevating us again. He's like, listen, stop seeing yourself of who you were. He never starts a letter with, to the sinner saved by grace in Ephesus. He starts his letters to the saints. Listen, you can't be a sinner and a saint. You can't see yourself as both. And that's why he's, he's laying the foundation of the importance of identity and how we choose to see ourselves in Christ. Again, the thing we're going to hear over and over and over again in, F, in, in this Ephesians is in Christ, through Christ. And he says, in Christ, you are a saint. It's not some special title given to the super Christian elite. If you put your faith in Jesus and trust in Jesus, you are a saint. And this is what he calls us to see ourselves as. Grace to you and peace as he bestows this blessing upon him. And then he makes one of those statements <laughs> that I get it, but I don't get it. Right? Because it's so far beyond my natural ability. There is no way in my natural ability can I understand fully what Paul means with this. Because all of a sudden he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I get it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Even right now, I can read that. I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I'm blessed in the heavenly realms with... I don't get that. And that's okay because there's a reality to truth that we're going to have enough of it to live in it, but we're called to live by faith. I can't sit here and and honestly be able to say, I'm going to explain this 100%, and you're going to be able to walk out of here and be like, I totally get that. Because that's the thing. I am, in my natural self, that's beyond me. 
I'm called to live by faith and to say, you know what? God tells me that he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Do I know what that is? Nope. Do I know every blessing? Nope. Do I even know what the heavenly realms really is? Nope. But I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to live in it. And I'm going to have faith in it. See, as we start through this, we need to ask ourselves, you know, Jesus promised us a life of abundance. And we've got to ask ourselves, do we want that life of abundance? Do we want to experience the fullness of Christ? That's Paul saying. He's like, I want you to experience the full measure of God, the fullness of God in you. We've got to ask ourselves, is that what we want? Well, the truth that I understand with this is, is, is this, and it's hard for me to accept sometimes because it's against my natural self. But the life of blessing that God offers, the life of abundance that Jesus offers, this gift that is given to us, is never found or rooted in the physical world, but it is only found in the spiritual realms. Notice that it does not say that God has blessed me with every physical blessing. Right? Because we can misinterpret things and we can say, well, wait a minute. If God loves me then, and he should care for me, then physically he should take care of me. Like I should have all these blessings. I should, this is where that kind of like you know, prosperity stuff comes, right? I should never have to deal with sickness. I should, I should have full banks, bank accounts. I should, you know, I should live in comfort and all of these things. God's like, I never promised you that. I never promised you a comfortable life. I never promised you a problem-free life. I never promised you a troubled-free life. Quit trying to find your maturity in the physical. See, see, the reality that I have to wrestle with is that as a Christian, I spend a lot of my time trying to understand the spiritual world, the spiritual realms, through the lens of the physical Right? So what I mean by that is there's many times in my Christianity that I am excited for my faith when everything's going well. Right? Because the physical world, it's like, oh man, God's blessing me. Obviously, man, look at the blessings. Everything's going well. It's comfortable. Things are, are nice. And I can just feel the blessings of God. He's so wonderful and awesome. And then when everything goes haywire, I start questioning the spiritual realm, because I'm like, wait a minute, God, I'm not seeing the benefits in the physical. Because I'm trying to understand the spiritual through the physical. But what Paul is telling us right from the beginning is he's saying, listen, if you want to be a mature Christian, if you want to live the life of abundance, if you want to experience the fullness of God, we have to stop trying to understand the spiritual through the physical, but we need to understand the physical through the spiritual. We have to change our lens. Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean by Paul, when, when, and this is why I said it's important to understand he's sitting in prison as he's writing all this. Listen to something that Paul said in another one of, one of his epistles. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. He goes into detail. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger of bandits, in danger of my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That guy lived a life that sucked from a physical standpoint. 
Like, in fact, Paul actually said at another point, he's like, listen, I carry the actual marks of the gospel. Meaning, Paul's like, if I took my shirt off right now, you would see what I've gone through for Jesus. I mean, he's telling us, I have been whipped. I mean, picture this. I have been whipped 39 times, five times. I've been beaten with rods. I've been stoned. I mean, he's listing this stuff. It's like, this is what I have gone through. So now here's the thing. If Paul was viewing the spiritual through the physical, he would have a lot of reasons to say, this isn't fun. He would have a lot of reasons to be negative. He would have a lot of reasons to be like complaining all the time. Because here's the thing. That guy was on the move his entire life after he came to know Jesus. And you can't tell me his body didn't hurt. Of all the stuff that was done, you can't tell me that guy did not hurt. And he was on the go constantly. And he had all the right in the world to complain about it and to be negative and to constantly look for reasons to say, this is not fun. I don't want this. But yet, this man says these things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. This is Paul's mindset. Paul just got done saying, I've been whipped. Five times. 39 lashes each time. I've been stoned. I've been beaten with rods. I spent a night floating out in the ocean. And we know that the God who loves us works all things together for the good. This was his mindset. See, here's the thing that Paul is saying. He's like, listen, God has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, but we have to reverse it. We look at the blessings of God through the physical. Paul's saying, stop doing that and look at the physical through the spiritual. Change your mindset. If you want the life of abundance, you have to change your mindset. He goes on, and this is, he tells us what the mindset is. He says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So as Christians, if we want to live the life of abundance, we have to set our minds on the things above, the spiritual realms. And that's what we base our life off of. That's what we base our decisions off of. That's what we base our attitudes off of. We don't base it on anything that goes on in this world. Ever. Because we're called to live above this world. Yes, we're part of the world and we're in this world, but we are not called to be part of it in the same way that everybody else is. We don't see it the same way. We don't live the same way. We live differently. In fact, later on in Ephesians, Paul says this. He's like, listen, not only has he blessed you with every spiritual gift and every spiritual blessing that you need in the heavenly realms, he says, you as a Christian are actually seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Again, I get it. I don't get it. Like, I get that, and it excites me. I don't get it because I'm standing here right now going, I don't feel like I'm in the heavenly realms right now. But Paul's saying it doesn't matter what you feel. 
It doesn't matter your circumstance. It doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't change the truth. And the truth is, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Again, I get it, but I don't get it. And that's okay because it just shows how awesome God is. Here's the other thing we have to understand. God has already provided every one of you. If you are a believer in Jesus, he has already provided everything that is necessary for you to live the life of abundance. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, you have every spiritual blessing. There's nothing left for God to give you. He's already given it. He's already provided it. It's there that's not the issue. God's not up in heaven looking at you and saying, well, man, I got to wait till they get to this point for me to give them this blessing. Paul's like, you already got it. There's nothing left for God to bestow upon you. It's already yours because you're already seated with Christ, in Christ, through Christ, changing mindset. Again, it doesn't matter what you feel. I get it. Feelings are powerful, but it does, feelings don't determine truth. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, you are in Christ. So we're called to get our minds centered around what is most important. Now, the reason I'm, I'm hitting on this is because it, it, it sets the foundation for everything else Paul's about to say. Because he's challenging us to stop living a life deceived in the cycle of playing hot and cold. And what I mean by that is, again, how many, again, you don't have to answer this, but to yourself, how often is your spiritual life, it's this, right? Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, right? Because we're deceived into this mindset of chasing after the things of the world, thinking that's going to give us the abundance of life, right? Oh, if I just reach this level physically, then it's all going to fit together. Oh, if this, if, you know, and, and Satan's really good at it. He reminds me of the guy, you know, and I use this as an, uh, that other illustration before with temptation, but he reminds me of the guy, I can't remember what commercial it is, where, you know, you got the guy, the fisher guy, with fisherman guy with the, you know, he's got the dollar hanging out there, and he's like, ooh, almost out at that time. Ooh, almost got it that time. You do realize that's what Satan's doing with us. That's what our natural, like our, our sinful self is doing when we're chasing after the things of the world, thinking that's going to make us have a life of abundance. Because as soon as you get the thing you think is going to make you happy and give you abundance, that's when Satan goes, huh, you thought you had it, but guess what? No, now you need this. No, now you need this. Now you need this. And we're constantly spending all of our energy chasing after things of the world where Paul says, quit it. You already have every spiritual blessing you need in the heavenly realms. That's all you need. Change the lens. Live according to the spirit and to the truth of the spiritual realm, not chasing after the things of the world. So how do we get our mind right a little bit with this? And, and you can write these down. We're not going to look them, all up, look them all up, but you can look these up later. But just hear the theme all throughout Scripture. The theme all throughout Scripture tells us what we're called to do to live the life of abundance. Seek the Lord with your entire heart. Seek God with, a whole, with wholeheartedness, devotion, and, and a willing mind. That's what it, we're told in First Chronicles, to seek after God with our whole hearts of devotion and with a willing mind. Second Chronicles, we are to seek God's face. 
Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Matthew tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. I share all those in the same challenge that God challenges me with, and it's simply this. If I look at my life and ask myself the question, David, am I living the life of abundance that God promises, right? The full measure of who God is. Am I living out what I feel Jesus has promised through him? If I look at that list and say, but is that what I'm giving myself to? Then it answers my own question, why I'm not there. Right? I'm not saying this to be like, how dare we or anything. This is what we get tricked into thinking is, I'm going to chase the things of the world and I'm going to find abundance. God tells us, if you want abundance, you seek me. And you seek me only. Because I'm the only one that can give you everything you need. It's changing the mindset. So, this is then where Paul enters into some more. And again, I know we haven't gone very far into the section because the rest, Paul just kind of starts really slamming on some stuff. Because what he does is he's setting this mindset of our blessings. And then he goes into showing us some of the things that God has already done for us. And some of the things that God has already provided for us. He's like, if you don't believe me, it's what, basically what he's saying. He's like, if you don't believe me that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, let me show you what God's already done. He's basically proving his point. Because it goes on and he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the first section of blessings that Paul lays out is the blessings that we have because of the father's will. He's showing us, he's like, listen, this is what you have, not because of yourself, not because you chose it, not because you made it happen. This is all because the Father chose to do this. And this is what I love about, you know, we can have another discussion about this another time, but this is one of the things I love about translations of the Bible. Because different translations might show this a little different. Like my NIV actually makes a break between the previous verse and this one. It's like, you know, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, period. Right? And then it says, in him, you have been chosen before the creation world. It kind of divides the thought. It still fits, but it just looks a little wonky when you're reading it. I appreciate this translation because it doesn't make a break in the thinking. It doesn't end a sentence to go to the next sentence. In fact, what it says is, if you're looking at it in the book, if you have this translation, which is the, you know, the one that the little booklet is, it says, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms, even as he chose us. He's basically, Paul is combining the two thoughts. He's like, listen, do you want to know how significant this is, that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? It's even like this. He chose you before the creation of the world. Like, that's huge. That's massive. Paul's like, you want to know how important this is? It's even like this. He chose you before the creation of the world. Now, here's the funny part. And some of us might be a little bummed about this. Um, Someday you'll you'll get it. Um, Malia thought it was funny to text me yesterday and laugh at me. Because she said, ooh, tomorrow's going to be fun. Because she knows my personal theological view on, like, 
predestination and all that. You know, some of you that know and get into that theological deep stuff know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm not getting into it. And I told Malia, I was like, listen, there's a lot of me right now that's fighting that I really want to get into the, like, <laughs> someday. You know, if you ever want to ask me my view, again, whatever. It's not, I'm not saying it's not important. It's not important right now. Okay? That's the point. Here's the point. <laughs> Don't be giving me a thumbs down. That was the other thing they told me during staff meeting. They were going to start giving me hand gestures. Like, hey, you're doing good. You suck. Right? This is the kind of encouragement we do at this church. Right? Um, <laughs> anyways. What is important for this morning, again, I'm not saying it's not important. I don't want to get bogged down into this whole predestination and what does it mean to be chosen and all of that. What's most important for this morning, though, what I want you to grab hold of is the fact that God chose to do what he did in Jesus before everything else. That, that shows you the significance of God's will and the blessing of this, that God chose to have Jesus come to die for our sins and be risen again and to offer us new life even before he created anything. See, that's significant because what it tells me is this. The blessings of God are not dependent upon me because he's the one that's chosen to give them. And he chose to give them before I ever even came into existence. See, the issue is, is Satan wants us to think whether we deserve them or not. Like it's up to us to earn them, to merit the blessing of God. God's telling us, Paul is saying, listen, God decided to do this before you even had a chance to sin. He, he decided to do this even before you were thought of. Even before the world was formed. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, there's an eternal plan of God, and it's not dependent upon us to earn it. He's like, you want to talk about a blessing? That's a blessing, because if it was left to whether I deserve it or not, I'm never going to get it. You're never going to get it. And he tells us, this is the other thing I want us to notice, whether chosen, however you want to interpret that, that's not, again, the important part. The important part is God made this decision and he tells us what the decision was, that we could be holy and blameless before him. That we could be holy and blameless. Paul is telling us this is God's intention, that we can be holy and blameless before him. And then he goes on to say how we can become holy and blameless. Again, this is just one constant train of thought. You can be holy and blameless because God made this plan before he created anything else. And this is what he wants. And the way that he's going to make it happen is because he chose to adopt you. He chose to adopt us to himself. Now, here's the thing about adoption. I want us to understand this because I don't know where your head's at. Because we're not talking about the adoption of a little baby that never knew any different. And, you know, there's that cute little baby. And I want to take that baby home. And I want to love that baby and have that baby part of my life. And that baby's going to grow up never understanding anything but this. No, this adoption is talking about an, adopt, uh, an adult adoption. <laughs> like, God saw you all jacked up, and he still chose to adopt you. Like, he didn't see you as the cute little baby, innocent and sweet and all that stuff. He saw you as the mess that you are. 
the broken mess that you are, and he still chose to adopt you. He took you home as an adult. Again, don't get hung up on like what age you accept. He saw you in your mess and brokenness, rebellious heart, and he still chose to adopt you to make you holy and blameless. This is what I love about this holy and blameless is because in Roman law, if I was adopted in Roman law, if I was an adult, and this did happen a lot, where if you didn't have an heir, somebody would adopt an adult, to that would be their heir, so that they could carry on the name and give the fortune to and all that stuff. In Roman law, if I'm adopted as an adult, my entire previous life is completely wiped clean. Meaning, if I have debt of any kind, as soon as I'm adopted... All my debts forgiven. I owe nothing to no one. If my family owes debt, as soon as I'm adopted, it's all gone. All debt is gone. All responsibility from the old life because in the eyes of the law, I am no longer the person I was. I'm brand new because I'm adopted. Holy and blameless. Because he chose to adopt me. Again, this is why Paul says later on in Ephesians, live up to your calling. Live up to your identity. God chose to adopt us and make us holy and blameless because he had this plan before the creation of everything. We are blessed by the will of the Father. The second thing is, he goes on, because of this we're also blessed by the working of the Son. Because Paul then goes and he says, in him, talking about Christ, this is how God is able to adopt us, right? It all flows together. He's able to adopt us and make us holy and blameless because we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that he's bestowed upon us with all wisdom and insight or wisdom and understanding. And he's revealing to us a mystery. So I want us to understand this just real quick. How are we blessed? This again, he's showing us this is how blessed you are in the heavenly realms, that you have redemption. The word here for redemption, a better word for it would actually be you have been ransomed. Right? God paid to get you back. And he tells us, you were redeemed through his blood. You were ransomed through his blood. That's how you have been adopted is because you have been redeemed. The price of you is the blood of Jesus. And he goes on, not only have you been bought back, you've been forgiven. This is important because he's saying, listen, God could have bought you back, but he still could have made you feel guilty for all the stuff you did wrong, right? He's like, he still can make you and hold that over you. We as humans do this all the time, right? Love my kids, but we like to throw their mistakes back in their face sometimes. I mean, I know nobody else does that. I do it. I'll confess it. That's why Paul says both. He's like, not only have you been redeemed, not only have you been ransomed, but God ransomed you and forgave you of all of your sins, and he holds none of it against us. Mindset, right? Because I guarantee you, most of the people in this room, God doesn't hold any sins against you, but you hold them against yourself. There's a lot of people that don't have a future the way God wants you to have a future because you're still living in the past of what God's already forgiven. 
See, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, this is how blessed you are. Not only that, not only have you been forgiven, he's done this by, through all wisdom and insight. Right? This is by his grace, which he's lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. Not only that, not only has he forgiven you, not only has he ransomed you, God has also given you the ability to have all wisdom and insight. Now, here's the thing. When I read that, I'm like, God, I don't know about that one because I feel pretty dumb. And lovingly, God says, David, you are dumb. Because the wisdom and insight doesn't come from you. It comes from the Spirit of God in you. I have given you myself. You have the ability to tap in to all wisdom and insight and understanding. Not because you're smarter, not because you're better. It's because I am with you. He's lavished it upon us. I love this idea of lavished. A better translation would almost be another word for it would be he's overflowed it into us. He's like turned on the nozzle and just poured it out into us. Again, Paul is saying all this because he's like, listen, if you're living in the less than, why are you living in the less than? This is what God's given you. Why, why, why do we settle for minimum? This is what he's given. He's trying to reveal things to us. And he goes on and he's like, listen, not only this, but he, he's obtained, you know, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who work all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I don't know about you, there's a lot of words there and it's deep, but man, I, I walk away from that going excited because that, here's, here's the thing. How many of you are living this day right now going, dang, how awesome is that? I get to be for the praise of God's glory. That's who I am. That's who you are if you're a follower of Jesus. If you put your trust, you get to be for the praise of his glory. Do you see how Paul's trying to elevate our thinking? He's like, see yourself for who you are and see God for what he's done. And the last thing he takes us in is he says, he starts showing us the blessings we have because of the Spirit's presence. He shows us the Father, he shows us the Son, he shows us the Spirit. He says, in him... You also, when you heard of the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's the blessings that Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, in Jesus you have been marked and sealed. You are God's possession. The way this has always made sense to me, and you may have heard me say this before, but every time I read that verse, the only thing I think about is Toy Story. Toy Story, you know, Andy writes his name. So, you know, he gets buzzed. First thing he does, put the name. Hey, you're part of the group because you got, you got his name. Paul is telling us, he's like, listen, when you put your faith in Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit was actually the God of the universe marking you to tell everything in creation and the entirety of the spiritual realm. That one's mine. The Holy Spirit's presence is God announcing, that's my possession. I bought and paid for that one. This is the blessing that you have, the assurances and the confidences of all this other stuff. When you have the Holy Spirit, you can know you are God's possession. And not only that, another translation actually says it a little different. We're marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, but he's our deposit of our inheritance. Meaning, the blessing of the 
the Spirit's presence in our life is actually the confirmation of my future glory and eternity in the presence of God. Now, let me give you an illustration just to hopefully make this make sense a little better. You know, picture this. So, if your life is your house, if your life is, you know, like, like this is my life, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit moved in. And all of us were probably excited about that. We're good with that. Yes, Holy Spirit, move in. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. But this is the thing. The Holy Spirit did not move into you to be a visitor. He's not a guest. He's the owner. He's new management. Y'all ever had anybody come visit you before? And you were cool with them come visiting. Maybe they were coming for like a week. And they bring in the first set of like luggage. And you're like, cool. And then they're like, hold on, I gotta get some more stuff. And you're like, wait, what? And then they bring in some more stuff. And you're kind of, and then you kind of sit there and it's like, how much stuff you need? Right? Because this is still my house. Right? You, you understand that. You're not moving in. You're not staying. You're visiting. The issue is many of us treat the Holy Spirit like he's a guest and not the owner. Because here's the thing. When we became a Christian, he was deposited. He walked in and he said, listen, I am here. And he came into our lives and we're like, awesome. You are more than welcome to be here. And then when he got in there into our lives, he said, all right, let me go get some more stuff I'm going to bring in. You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm cool with you being here. But the house is set up the way I want the house set up. I never said I was going to get, you know, like you can have the one room, but you're not redecorating nothing, right? You ain't changing nothing. And then the Holy Spirit keeps coming. He's saying, no, we're doing some renovations. We're going to change some stuff. And we're, and we're just like, no, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not cool with you changing anything. Still my house. And he's like, then you didn't understand what salvation was. My presence tells you you're under new ownership. And that's a blessing to us, to remind us that we're under new ownership. In fact, many of us don't live the mature life that God wants for us because we spend more of our time and energy actually working against what the Spirit is trying to do than walking in step with Him. Do you realize that's one of the reasons many of us do not experience the fullness that God wants is because we're spending more of our energy working against what He's trying to do in us than actually walking in step with Him the way He calls us to. This is what Paul is talking about. He's like, listen, the blessing of the Spirit is your deposit. That's just the deposit when you became a Christian. Now, you got to let the fullness come in and let Him do what He wants to do. Some of us are just cool with the deposit. God's like, I'm not cool with the deposit. I want everything. I want you to want everything. See, the presence of the Holy Spirit is our assurance and our confidence that we're heading to glory. In fact, I chuckled to myself because when I got to thinking about this, when the Spirit of God is working in my life and He's speaking and He's transforming and He's shaping, He's showing me that He's taking me somewhere and He's taking me someday to that possession of everything. And I chuckled to myself because the first thing that popped in my head was, I'm like, well, we're moving on up to the east side, deluxe apartment in the sky. Here's the deal. There are some of you that knew what that was, and you started singing it in your head. Anybody that didn't know what that was, lovingly, I'm going to say this, we're old. (laughs) Sorry. But that's that's the Holy Spirit blessing, right? He's showing us where he's taking us. So as we end and we bring this all together, I just want to encourage what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, you Christian, you need to know your blessings. 
Know your blessings. You have been given these things in Jesus. Know them. But he's like, you also need to believe them. You can't just know them. You've got to believe them. And if you're going to believe them, the way you know that you truly believe in the blessings of God, you have to walk in them. Daily walk in the blessings. You have been bestowed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Know them, believe them, walk in them. This is what we're called to. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for our time here this morning. I thank you for including this amazing and wonderful book of the Bible. Lord, I personally am going to say I appreciate it immensely that there's so much in this that I don't understand. Because it reminds me of, I'm not you. It reminds me of my dependency upon you. It reminds me that none of this is about me in the sense that I can manipulate anything. I find comfort in that, Lord. I pray that we all do. That we see the grandness of your plan. That it's so big and amazing and wonderful that it causes us to be in awe. Where we can hear the words and we can accept them. And we can understand in what they're saying. But at the same time, Lord, we have to sit here and say, but you're so much bigger than us. You're so greater than us, Lord. I don't get it. But this, again, is why you call us to live by faith. Lord, I pray an excitement for us in our Christianity that we will desire to mature and grow and not settle for less than. Because, Paul, you are showing us the amazing life of abundance if we just take hold of it. Lord, let us leave here excited and ready to charge after it and not to live less than. We give you praise in all of it. Jesus, we thank you for your love, mercy, grace. Glorify yourself as, as your word tells us that we are to the glory of your praise. We, we give you all the love and devotion. In your name we pray. Amen.